Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I am your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to welcome a very, very senior corporate leader from the U.S., Karen Mangia. Karen, welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to be here. I feel like I'm on a trip around the world with no jet lag. It's Thank amazing. You. I agree with you. Uh, Karen is a, a Salesforce executive and a Wall Street Journal bestselling author. And all of you know, I am very partial to authors. She uh, is the Vice President, Customer and Market Insights for Salesforce. She's a diversity, equity, and inclusion advocate. Advocate, And as I mentioned, she's written four bestsellers, and we'll talk about her book. So Karen, when I was reading about you, I was amazed at the multiple things that you do. Tell me about your own journey and how do you handle so many diverse functions? <laughs> when I think about what matters most, mm -hmm. I have always found storytelling fascinating. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a child, I loved to read books. And by the time I was about 12 years old, I would write plays and I would cast my cousins mm -hmm. <laughs> in the shows, Amazing. right? And run rehearsals. And then we would put on these plays for our parents and mm -hmm. grandparents. I've always loved storytelling. And when I think about the true North star of my career, mm -hmm. it's really storytelling and customer engagement and advocacy. Mm -hmm. Now that's played out in a variety of roles from mm -hmm. sales to sales leadership, voice of the customer, and now doing this thought leadership role. Mm -hmm. And I think about this opportunity to be curious about what's happening and then take what I'm hearing and discovering and create content mm -hmm. that makes it possible for people to redefine and to access success. Wow, wow. And uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about DEI. What got you interested? Uh, in the entire subject of diversity, equity, and inclusion? I started out as a young female in the high-tech industry. Mm -hmm. And I can remember so clearly being at my first job at AT&T out of university. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting in one of those cubes that has the walls that are kind of that gray felt. Mm -hmm. And in my little cube, I could hear the people around me making plans to go to lunch of all mm -hmm. things. So I called them the lunch bunch. I wasn't invited, you know, okay. I was new and, and I, I didn't fit in, you might say. Mm -hmm. And over time I thought I'm going to be a part of that lunch bunch. Mm -hmm. I started thinking of them as the secret success society, right? Mm -hmm. Because to me, they looked like they were successful. I mean, they would get promotions and raises and, and they had access, mm -hmm. right? They had access and so over time, you know, I studied what they would do and I started talking about things they talked about and, you know, liked things they liked and presented the way they presented. And eventually I got invited to join the lunch bunch. The challenge became one day when I went to interview for a new job mm -hmm. and the interviewer asked me a very predictable question. Mm -hmm. What are your strengths? What differentiates you? Wow. And I paused. I mean, at that point, I had put so much effort into blending in. I couldn't tell you mm -hmm. what made me different. And at that point, it crystallized a very important lesson for me. Mm -hmm. 
inside of any kind of team. That could be a sports team, a corporate team, a not-for-profit team. Mm. So often the culture enforces the skill of blending rather than belonging. We reward the skill of becoming masterfully adaptable, mm. of doing what I did, studying someone else and trying to be like them. And the reality is we can never make our highest contribution, realize our, our potential or feel good about living in our purpose and our contribution to the world if we're just trying to be like someone else. Mm -hmm. And that got me curious about how do cultures form that way? Mm -hmm. And why do we as human beings live into these labels? I mean, I could have talked about sports all day long and worn suits. Every guy I worked with knew I was female. I wasn't fooling anyone, mm -hmm. right? So what is it about cultures that that enforce that skill of being masterfully adaptable and blending in as prized. And what would happen if mm. we created cultures where we could surface and bring forward in a productive and thoughtful way what it is that differentiates people and put that to work? What might be different mm. about our teams and really about us as human beings? Would we be right. healthier and happier and more successful? Well said, well said. And uh, my next question is that, you know, there's a lot of debate, discussion about inclusion uh, all over the world. And now the SDGs also talk about a lot, you know, but, but my first question is, how much in your opinion is actually being achieved? Um, and how much is a lot of lip service? If you look to the headlines like the great resignation mm. and quiet quitting and, you know, you study the patterns, it's for the first time in history, people are looking at what is being offered from their employees. And often that's more pay, more PTO and more perks. Correct. And people in mass are saying for the first time, that's not the more I'm looking for. Mm. People are looking for more of what matters. Mm. And what matters is not needing to blend in. It's the opportunity to contribute and be themselves, whether that's how you wear your hair, who you love, how you express an idea, if you're an introvert or an extrovert. Mm. And so for the first time in history, people have been willing in mass to do something about that feeling. Wow. And what I'm finding is the difference between organizations where inclusion thrives and mm. where it is lip service, to use your phrase, mm. is choice. Mm. What I find is inside of organizations where there are a lot of mandates, there tends to be very little inclusion. Mm. In organizations where they emphasize meaning, there tends to be real inclusion. Mm. And here's the difference. A mandate says, I've made it to a certain point and have a level of experience or title that says, I'll tell you what yep. to do and how to show up here. Mm. Meaning inside of organizations says, what could we create together? Mm. And when we're in that motion of co-creation, we free people up to participate in framing the problem, mm. finding solutions, trying things out together. So I find, you know, mandates work on directives, meaning works on curiosity and choice. Well said. Thank you. Great response. And yet, you know, I've spoken to many women leaders in boardrooms and several of them have said that because of company policy, we now have a seat around the table, but we're still not included. 
what are your thoughts? This goes back to what we were just discussing, which is, is this a token gesture or is this authentic? And mm -hmm. what I think about is your say-do ratio mm -hmm. as an organization, as a leader, even as a board. Does what you say match what you do? Mm -hmm. Because when you say matches what you do, people trust you yep. and yep. that seat is authentic and that opportunity is real. When you're just putting something on a mission statement and signing a public pledge because mm -hmm. it's it's the thing to do of the moment and it's socially acceptable and it looks great on social media, mm -hmm. your say and do ratio tend not to match. Mm -hmm. So I look to the facts of how are decisions made, who's included, not just at the table, mm -hmm. but in the actual decision-making process. Mm -hmm. And how does that meeting operate, mm -hmm. right? Are there moderators that give up everybody's space to share and then synthesize ideas from the group as a whole? Fascinating. And uh, the other perspective that I'd love to get your thoughts on is where does accountability lie with the CEO who says, but I've told the CHRO to make sure this happens. As goes the leadership, so goes the team, <laughs> well people, right? So people take clues from their environment all mm -hmm. the time. If my manager says, for example, mm -hmm. your health and well-being is a top priority, you know, I'm here to support you. I want you to be healthy and well, mm -hmm. and then texts you while you're on holiday and emails you seven days a week and calls you during your family dinner, does the say-do ratio of that manager match? Mm. It doesn't. Mm. We take a cue that says, you might be saying you want me to be well and have dinner with my family and take those extra classes at university. And what your actions tell me are, mm. what is expected here is for me to work and be responsive 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I believe that the future of work rests with middle managers. Mm. This is where we need the biggest reskilling, retraining, and opportunity to shift culture because this is the group that needs to see themselves in a new way in order to elevate the employees around them. Very interesting. You know, you just also very briefly referred to the great resignation. I wanted to ask you, what is the connection between, or if there is a con uh, connection between inclusion and the great resignation? I'll never forget the time I interviewed a high-powered African-American female executive mm -hmm. for a piece I was writing for a magazine. And this woman is innovative. She is leading a $1 billion US dollar business unit mm -hmm. and has the most diverse team inside of her company with mm -hmm. the highest employee pulse scores. Mm -hmm. And at the conclusion of our interview, I wrote the piece, I packaged it up. And I was going back to her to let her know the piece was going live. And of course, I was going to tag her on social media. Mm. I was shocked to discover that she did not have a profile picture on LinkedIn. Wow. And so I thought that I thoughtfully coached her mm -hmm. and said, before I put this on LinkedIn and tag you, please add a profile photo. And her response back to me was no. Mm. And I said, why is that? And she said, because people won't connect with me on LinkedIn if the first thing they see is that I'm a Black female. Really? Amazing. And I was shocked wow. because, first of all, I made an assumption, uh, you know, hey, you just haven't checked all the boxes here. Mm. That was a purposeful decision on her part. Mm. And here's what's showing up. 
no matter what kind of statistics you read is we're seeing a significant exit mm-hmm. inside of organizations from women and people of color. And part of it is what we've been talking about, which is mm-hmm. I can't be myself here and I'm tired. See, in this virtual world, if I don't turn on my camera or I don't have a photo for at least a moment, mm-hmm. I get to function with the benefit of the doubt that I'm included and I belong. Mm-hmm. And I remove or pause your ability to make a snap judgment about what you believe to be my capabilities based on some profile characteristic. Mm-hmm. That caught my attention because this is a deeply accomplished, high impact woman. And it, it gave me pause. It made me think about how much more work we still have to do in this I space. Agree. I agree. And I guess it's the same all over the world. I mean, you know, I mean, the state still is such a diverse and uh, such a, you know, multicultural society. But that leads me to my next question, which is on culture. You know, uh, you did refer to culture a little while ago. But my question to you is, given the fact that in the US, you are such a multicultural community, what is the impact culture has on inclusion? Culture is critically important. And that could be the culture of the community where we live, mm. the culture of the team where we work, the culture of the organization that shares our paycheck. Mm. And so often inside of organizations, I see people think of culture as proximity and perks. Yeah. And culture is really personality. Culture Mm. is how does it feel to be here? Mm. And what I think about is, at least in the US, neighborhoods are given something called a walkability score. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind the walkability score of a neighborhood is, is essentially what you need to have a great living experience Mm. within walking distance, Mm. food, transportation, medical care, perhaps entertainment. Mm. And if I think about translating that into company cultures, I think about our livability score. Mm. How does it feel to walk around inside Mm. of the culture Mm. of your company? And how easy is it for people to access what they need to feel a part of that community, right? In my mind, we've reached an inflection point, which is now companies as communities. Mm. We are looking to our companies to be places of belonging, contribution, caring, and what I call a kaleidoscope identity. Mm. And a kaleidoscope identity, right? You think about looking through a kaleidoscope, right? Mm. And there are all those little individual pieces and individually they are brilliant and collectively they make a shape, right? And no matter how you turn that kaleidoscope, the integrity of the individuals and the whole is maintained that's the inflection point I believe we've reached. And, And what we're trying to cross over and do, which is, companies as communities. It's Mm. just, we still have some work to be done just like we do in lots of our neighborhoods. Thank you. What a great response. And I must always remember your kaleidoscope example. And that's such a great example. One more question relating to inclusion and then I'll move to your books. Uh, Karen, we are now seeing a lot of young leaders, the millennials and the Gen Zs getting into roles of leadership in the corporate world. And I always say that they have actually brought a breath of fresh air into the corporate world. I'm from the boomers generation. Um, How are millennials and the Gen Zs and the young leaders changing and adapting to inclusion? They bring 
and an inclusive mindset. And I mm-hmm. think what challenges all of us is they have a different relationship with work mm-hmm. and they have a different relationship with how and where and when work shows up in their lives. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes some of us uncomfortable mm-hmm. who have spent nights and holidays and weekends and family time toiling away inside of our careers. Correct. And what we're seeing is that might not be necessary, mm-hmm. right? And perhaps it's my hope that I'm projecting onto this generation. What I see is they bring a broader perspective that says, show up as you are, mm-hmm. bring your ideas. Every idea has potentially some merit. We'll figure that out very quickly or not. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not going to have work as this pervasive feature in my life that shows up everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. I think they're setting some healthy boundaries and it makes us uncomfortable because it disrupts the most powerful force, which is the way we've always done things. Amazing. Thank you. Uh, my next question to you now is to, on, on you, your avatar as an author. Um, you've written four books and all of them have been bestsellers. Tell me about your books. The first book I wrote was looking in the direction of releasing the obligations that no longer serve you to make room for the people and experiences that do. Mm -hmm. And inside of that book, I share a story that's personal to me Mm -hmm. about changing my relationship with success, redefining what success is and what I was willing to do to achieve this elusive success. Mm -hmm. For me, it might surprise you to discover looking at me now, I went through a three and a half year period of time in my early Mm thirties of major medical misdiagnosis. Wow! And during that time, my hair fell out. Mm -hmm. My skin turned gray. I gained 55 pounds and did not have a baby. And one day I looked in the mirror and my eyes were literally a different color. Wow. And I never missed a day of work for being sick. Amazing. Which sounds so crazy when I Mm. say it. And yet we all have examples of it. Now, in my case, I was diagnosed with DDT pesticide poisoning. And what was so interesting was, yes, I did have poison pulsing through my body, but I also had poisoned my mind with a toxic set of beliefs Mm -hmm. that you have to do more to have more to be more. And that will sum up to success. And that simply isn't true. And it became a turning point for me, five years of treatments. And I finally was fortunate to get to a clean bill of health. But in the book, uh, Success With Less, I talk about strategies to change, uh, you know, your relationship and your priorities with your calendar, your career, your relationships and your health. And then in the subsequent books, I'm looking in the direction of success, working from home. So there's working from home, making the new normal work for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Success with your customers. That book is Listen Up. And then the latest book, Success from Anywhere, Create Mm -hmm. Your Own Future of Work from the Inside Out. And the reason for that is we were talking about culture Mm -hmm. and cultures of companies, just like cultures of communities, change one person at a time. When each one of us looks inside ourselves and says, I'm choosing to be different, regardless of what changes around me. Mm. Fascinating. So I'm going to ask all our viewers and listeners to go and check out Karen's books. I'm sure they're all available on Amazon and a lot of other platforms. But since Amazon is so well known around the world, check out her books. I will go and check them out, Karen. And then all of you can take your own call. Uh, Karen, I've got time for two more questions. i you also said uh, when we were starting that you've started a podcast. 
which you've just started recently. Tell me about your podcast and what are the areas you focus on? The podcast is Success From Anywhere, Mm -hmm. and it's on all of your preferred podcast platforms and on YouTube if you want to see the Mm -hmm. video. And Success From Anywhere looks in the direction of people who are disrupting where we work, when we work, and how we work. Mm -hmm. So in season one, we're looking in the direction of the office. So major disruptors of where work happens. Yeah. In season two, nine to five, we're looking at disruptors and new ideas about when work happens, including a fascinating person whose commitment to every manager is to give you back one full day per week. Mm-hmm. And then season three is, I called it Silicon Valley, kind of based on that show that mocks Silicon mm-hmm. Valley. The reality is it's disruptive startup businesses that will change how we work. And the idea is to seed some new ideas, not just to say, how do we rework work that in a way that works for employers and employees to actually give you ideas of conversations you can go have, strategies you can try, and people you can connect with that have mm. wonderful ideas. Wonderful. And my last question to you, uh, Karen, and this is for the many, many people who will listen to our conversation. You know, based on you know your amazing, amazing corporate career as a very senior corporate leader in the U.S your focus on inclusion, your being an author, your own personal health challenges that you very kindly spoke about on the part on my show. What would you say are three lessons you would want our viewers and listeners to take away from your own journey? Success is an outcome that you define. Yeah. And I've interviewed thousands of people about this topic now, and Mm. they've reached the same conclusion. Success is not a destination. Mm. Success is not a location, a title, a balance in your bank account, what your parents want you to do, what your significant other wants you to do. Mm. Success is as you define it. Mm. That's first. Second lesson is the more well you are, the Mm. more you can contribute. Mm -hmm. And along the way of that contribution, enjoy your life more. Yeah, I mean, when I was so ill, yes, I was still going to work and grinding it out. I wasn't particularly enjoying it. And I Mm. probably wasn't contributing at the highest level Mm. possible. The idea of, you know, first care for yourself, then care for the world is real and it works and you can operate at a higher level of contribution. Mm. The third one is connect and be generous. Mm. The reason I found a physician that believed in me and got to a correct diagnosis is because people recommended this person, multiple Mm. people. The reason there are fascinating thought leaders and guests on my show is because of networking with people and being generous with each other, with our time and with our connections and holding space mm. for people to be who they are. So even if your team isn't changing, you can change the conversation mm. that's right in front of you. And that's what gives me hope. How amazing. And on that note, on your three wonderful lessons, success is an outcome um, that you define. Uh, wellness makes you contribute much, much more. Therefore, look after yourselves and connect and be generous. Thank you, Karen, for speaking to me. Thank you for talking to me about your journey, about inclusion, about uh, your books, uh, and about your podcast. I loved your example of the lunch bunch, which I thought was fabulous. 
I also loved uh, the two things that you spoke about, which is the walkability score uh, and uh, the livability score. I think these are new terms that I learned from you today. Thank you for speaking to me and good luck to you. Thank you. Be well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.